Coming up, it's philosophy talk. I lurk in the shadows of other fields and disciplines, and I try to spot their crimes of knowledge. Our guest is the undercover philosopher, Michael Phillips. None of us are in a position to actually justify all of our beliefs. Why are our beliefs so often out of sync with reason and evidence? There's ways in which we're rational and there's ways in which we're not rational. A lot of times people just ignore contrary evidence. And then, you know, some people are just naturally contentious. Beliefs based on unreliable memories. Beliefs based on unreliable eyewitness testimony. Beliefs based on misunderstood statistics. Beliefs manipulated by the media. Beliefs gone wild. Disagreement is a permanent aspect of the human condition. Recorded in front of a live audience as part of the Illahee Lecture Series in Portland, Oregon. Beliefs gone wild. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Today, Philosophy Talk is on the road. We're here in front of a live audience at the First Congregational Church in Portland, Oregon. Today's program is part of the Ilahi Lecture Series. And we're very pleased, very pleased to meet some of our listeners here in Portland. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. You know, John, you know, John, the human mind is a wondrous thing. It has uncovered the innermost secrets of the natural world. It's created art and democracy, and it's even explored the depths of its own operations. Yeah, but human minds can be filled to the brim with superstition, prejudice, and all kinds of tomfoolery and falsehood. Which brings us to today's topic, beliefs gone wild. Where do all these false beliefs come from? Why are so many of our beliefs out of sync with reason, evidence, reality, argument? And what, if anything, can we do to guard against falsehood while at the same time increasing the stock of true things that we believe? Well, you know, Ken, this is a, a, an old question. I mean, this goes back to Socrates, Plato, Descartes, Hume, James, and Dewey, to name just a few. Yeah, you're right, John. And with all that accumulated philosophical wisdom, all those greats, not to mention the advance of science, the decline of superstition, the fall of tyrannical regimes that tried to bludgeon their citizens into believing all sorts of lies, with all that intellectual progress, I mean, you just might think that nowadays we believe a lot more truth and a lot less falsehood than we used to. Well, I think you're right. There are some grounds for optimism. When I go back to my youth... Not all that long ago in the great scheme of things, but back in the 40s and 50s, I'm astounded at the false things that your average white American used to believe about your average black American. But now all that's changed. Look where we are now. So you think uh, that Obama's presidency is proof, proof positive that we're slowly but surely replacing old, worn-out false beliefs with bright, shiny, new true beliefs? Is that what you think? No, probably for every area in which we do that, we'll find other areas in which we believe a lot of baloney. I mean, false beliefs and true beliefs always seem to coexist together in the human mind. Maybe we can shift the balance a little here and there, but I doubt we can totally eliminate the falsehood. Well, why not? We've got all this science, all this philosophy. Why not? Well, it is puzzling. You'd think that, look, we evolved to figure out what the world is like. Why is our mind so full of what it's not like? 
But the human mind seems to have two sides. One side that invented science, the arts, democracy, a light side, and then a dark side that's prone to prejudice, self-deception, and other forms of irrationality. Uh, you know, you, you have a point. And, and, and that raises an important question. If our minds are as messed up as you say they are, how is it that we dominate this planet? I mean, we know more than all the rest of the animal kingdom combined by a long shot. So how do we dominate? Dumb luck? <laughs> uh, maybe, but I, you know, I've always had a theory about this. I've always thought that it was the, the social structure of cognition myself. The social structure of cognition. That's a mouthful. What, do you, what does that mean? Well, once in a while, some genius, some genius pulls off an amazing feat of cognition, like, you know, inventing the calculus or something. And thanks to the rest of our ability to learn from other people and the social structures that make that more and more possible, you know, like good schools, the rest of us schmucks get to go along for the ride. Well, you know, but the same social structures that enable truth to kind of percolate out from the one genius to the rest of us also enable crazy things to percolate out from their inventor to the rest of us. Astrology, uh, subprime mortgages, uh, <laughs> Reaganomics, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, use those same social structures that can be used for good to just percolate out a bunch of false stuff. You're definitely right about that. And, and you know, to make matters worse, to make it even worse, these dirty little secrets about our messed up minds, they're out. And that knowledge, that knowledge of how our messed up minds really work, allows some people to be in the business of actually exploiting our mental foibles to try to make us believe all manner of crazy things. Oh, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> uh, well, we've gotten ourselves into a fine philosophical mess here, Ken. We've shown the human mind as equal parts darkness and light. I don't see any way to ensure that the light wins out over the dark. You know, I, I think you're right, John, but you know what? Fortunately, we're not in this mess alone. For one thing, we've got the help of this audience full of cognitive all-stars here in the lecture series, at the Illahi Lecture Series here in Portland. And for another, we'll soon be joined by our guest, Michael Phillips, a.k.a. the undercover philosopher. He claims to have discovered the philosophical key to uncovering and detecting shams, lies, and delusions. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Julie Napolin, talks to a person who teaches consumer behavior. She files this report. When we go shopping, we have a wide range of options and don't always choose products based on cost, value, or taste. Sometimes, we make a decision based on unconscious assumptions. The packaging, the presentation, where it is in the store, all of those things are going in to make that decision. And boom, what, three seconds? Jill Mosteller is a marketing professor at Portland State University. She says consumers make many of their shopping decisions based on unconscious beliefs. We have formed a set of beliefs which are just simply things that we believe are true. So one belief could be that I should be mindful of how I treat the earth. So we go into the marketplace and we're exposed to messages that align with our beliefs because it's like, oh, well, this is congruent with how I see things. Advertising can use images to draw out those beliefs. If I consider myself an environmentalist, I may want to buy a detergent that's good for the earth. I see one that has a picture of the planet on the package and I think, that must be good. That's it. And, and, and it's interesting you bring up the visual because the imagery, we, we tend to process holistically. So it may be a little bit easier on the brain 
to take that information in as opposed to imagine if you were forced to pick up and read the words, the label on every single package that you bought. You'd be completely exhausted. So I think the marketers, they understand that. They want it to be simple. They want it to be effective in having it say, oh, this is an environmentally friendly company. I want to support them because they kind of resonate my values and my beliefs. But sometimes those inferences that are made are not maybe always accurate. That's why ads aren't necessarily deceptive. They're just working with the strong human tendency to make inferences and associations. Sometimes advertisers want to elicit a negative emotional response from us. Deborah Stevens is a marketing professor at the University of Portland. And then their brand will provide the resolution to our anxiety or guilt. But they have to tap into that desire to make yourself something you're not. You two lost how much weight on Jenny Craig? Together we lost 231 pounds. By triggering the process of inference, these kinds of diet ads make people believe they will lose weight. If we can do this, so can you. Again, Jill Mosteller. They see the picture of the before and the after, and they're saying, oh my gosh, here's my actual self, and here's my ideal self, like the picture of the person after they've used this product for six months. So they may make some inferences there that to say, oh, well, then I can do it too. Because we can't stop ourselves from making implicit associations, Mosteller says we should just take a step back and cut the connection between inference and action. When it is more likely to happen, is when we're not really putting a lot of effort into it, you see a little piece of information, and then all of a sudden you make three or four inferences from that information, and those inferences may be incorrect. It's not necessarily that the advertiser is telling you to make those inferences. It's kind of like, I'm giving you a little piece of information. Where do you take it? I'm no lost in the supermarket. I no longer shop For Philosophy Talk, I'm Julie Napolin. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.